Well, hello and welcome back to the Memoirs of Abiding podcast. I'm Chris Bryant, and today I'm joined with Ricky Brooks. We wanted to start something a little different, counter to what many have been taught or learned through experience. Our topics will be practical and theological. We'll be focusing on what the early church saw. What we're going to talk about isn't some new idea, but rather an old idea gaining traction again. Our tell is sharing our experiences and looking at the Bible on this material. Our ask is that you will take it into your own devotion time and ask the Lord how to best apply it. We'll continue to talk about this material each week. We have blogs addressing practical applications at www.memoirsofabiding.com. We hope you experience God through talking about his word with us. Well, today we're going to talk about the importance of the word of God. And last week we talked about how our identity really stood out in our relationship and our abiding. And what we didn't dive deep into was how the word of God built that up, how the foundation came from that. And so what a crazy question to ask, but why do we even read the Bible? Well, I know why I read it. The first reason is, is God tells me to. <laughs> That's a good reason. So, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm completely convinced of the reliability and verifiability of the reality of God and also the reality that the Bible is his word, that it supernaturally was given to those uh, 40 different authors. Yeah. So I read it because it's a it's a love letter from Almighty God to me. Now there's more, and we'll unpack that. But in the final analysis, uh, I remember the very first time I had to be away from when I was young. The very first time I had to be away from my wife uh, for an extended stay, and uh, in my bag that I packed to go. When I opened it up the first night away from her, and pulled out a clean shirt for the next morning, under that was a was a, a nice letter that she had written to me. And then when I when I pulled out the pair of pants for the next day, under that was another nice letter. Trust me, I read them more than once. I read them over and over. That's awesome. Years later, after she had gone to heaven about a year after she'd gone to heaven I was rummaging through some files in my office and in a series of messages that we had been working on together or I, I was kind of assisting her that she was developing to speak at a women's retreat I found that yellow legal pad kind of paper and on there was a letter that she wrote saying, thank you, sweetheart, for helping me or walking through these passages of scripture with me. You don't know what, how much this means to my heart. And I'd never seen that. It was like a year later. You're going to bring tears in my eyes, right? I still read it. Goodness. <laughs> I read it over and over and over again. The more I read something, the more I know the heart of the one who wrote it and and with God, his truth does never change. Uh, I love that. Yeah. When I read it, I've kind of come, I like to characterize a lot of things. But 
I love that the, the Bible was written by God to reveal who he was to us. Yeah. Also to reveal who he's called us to be. And then his plan in transforming us to that. Yeah, yeah. And so when I read it, it's like an exciting new revelation in my own mind. Not revelation as, as far as a special or general revelation, but an understanding another aspect of who God is, or like we talked about last week, my identity, who he's created me, or his plan, right? His, his whole plan from Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation and doing that and transforming us. And, and I love it. I think one of the big things we've talked about before is Romans 12. Romans 12, 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So another aspect of it is not only are we learning God's heart uh, through his love letters, like you're saying, and not only do we learn who he's called us to be in our identity and this plan to get us there, but also we learn that He's given us his word to transform us. Yeah. I love that. And especially when we see in Psalm 119, we see that uh, he does, you know, the psalmist talks about hiding God's word in his heart so that we not, may not sin against him. Those are big passages for us to understand the importance of God's word. It's not my will that prevents me from sinning against the Lord. It's not my strength of, of desire to be more like Jesus. It is God transforming me to be more like Jesus and using his word in that process. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that, uh, how you focus on that all the time. You no longer only read God's word for the information it contains to help you to know him in truth and to know the life we live in truth, to understand principles of communication and living that make our lives better, everybody else's lives better. But you now read it for transformation. I remember when my kids were little watching the Transformers, you know, more than meets the eye. I was, I was a transfixed with, with the cartoons as they were, man. I thought it was awesome. But then all of a sudden, they come to the big screen in this incredible CGI world of the Transformers, right? And that one particular movie where, where uh, Optimus Prime comes riding in on a Transformer dinosaur, I mean, come on now. <laughs> that was incredible. And so now, as a full-grown old man, I'm able to go see those with my children who are, you know, two full-grown men and a full-grown daughter. And, and, and in some cases, our enthusiasm has to drag others with us to see that transformer change, you know, from a, from a truck to Optimus Prime. That's pretty awesome. But it's still Optimus Prime when it's a truck. It's not really transformed. It's just reconfigured. But what you go to in Romans 12 too, no longer be conformed to the image of this whole crazy world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that's more than just learning. That's more than education. That word for transformation is like, you know, like larva into a butterfly. This is metamorphosis. This is complete at the DNA level transformation. We become a new identity, a new person. And in that, we are given the very heart of God, the word of God, the things he wanted to share with us the most so that our sojourn on earth as his children could be as complete as not he would allow it, but we would allow it. Because he, as, as you read from last week in Second Peter, he's given us everything in his word for life and godliness. Transformation is incredible. Or when you refer to the psalm, you know, I hide the word of God away in my heart. I treasure it. Or that passage can be tra translated as I store it up in my heart. That's an amazing thing. I just, and, and, and we do, we're, we're different people. Personality, probably the same. But there's distinctive parts of my personality that I had when I was 17 that they are no longer a part of me. <laughs> and hallelujah, and thank God for that. I tell you straight up, thank God for that. I, 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 everybody who knows me and who knew me then will say, "Oh, Ricky, you're the same guy. You love to have fun, and you know." But you know, I was just I was just sharing earlier this week with on Facebook. One of the principles I live by is. Stop being childish, but don't stop being childlike. So the things I'm ashamed of are a part of the childishness. And in reality, I don't do a lot of those anymore. I don't even think about doing them. I don't want to do them anymore. They're not a part of who I am. That's not a, just a matter of training. That's supernatural transformation that comes because the Bible is God's true word. Yeah, yeah your picture was a lot, a lot better than mine. I, when I pictured the change... I'm thinking like when I change my shirt, it doesn't make me different. But yeah, your Optimus Prime one is definitely a lot better. I, I can picture that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and thankfully, thankfully, the, the song though resonates more than meets the eye because you are a lot more. No human can see the transformation completely that God sees in you, Chris. No human can see the, the wonder and the beauty of, the, of the, the diamond that God is faceting in the life of a believer. You know, I, I take that particular uh, metaphor from uh, Mr. David Needham, who writes a book about all this stuff called Birthright. But God is, he's chiseling us, he's forming us, he's transforming us. You know, we go from an ugly rock to a, a beautiful diamond. Yeah, I decided to look up the definitions. I know in high school and college, I did this a lot, but just looking at the difference between change and transformation. So when I look up the definition of change, it's to make someone or something different, to alter or modify. But when we look at transformation and how we're bringing about that through the Lord's work, we see transformation slightly different in wording, but hugely different in principle. A thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. I think that's the key, thorough change or a dramatic change. So if I change my shirt, 
that's just a change. It's, I'm not any different, but all of a sudden now I abide in the Lord. All of a sudden now I realize that he has regenerated me. He has given me a spirit where there was none before. And I stand on that truth. Now it, it does dramatically change who I am. So we've talked about this in the, the what is abiding podcast, but then all of a sudden I don't have to will being gentle or kind or faithful or truthful, or I don't have to, I don't have to push through and try to overcome my faults that I had as a child, because the transformation is so thorough and dramatic. And it comes from the Lord that all of a sudden those things no longer affect me like they did. I no longer have the desire to, you know, if I have rage or anger to punch someone in the face, I now want to listen to them and to really get to know that person, even if they're, they're saying some things like, well, yeah, but what's going on in your life? That type of dramatic change can only be attributed to the work and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yeah, I, I'm, man, I'm there with you. And, and I, and I want to, uh, you know, I wish we could spend forever on this because it's truly miraculous. It's truly, you know, we throw those words around like they're common and they're not, right? If I were speaking to a room full of philosophers today, I would use the word ontological. It's a change ontologically. So that, you know, that's one of those big words that, you know, we're, we're not supposed to use anymore. But ontology means, ontology is the study of being, of becoming. So it's the, it's the, the basic core of something. What is the essence of its being? That's the ontology of something. And when we were born again, when we were given that divine nature that we talked about from 1 Peter chapter 1 last week, it's an ontological change. It's not just a religious change or intellectual change. There's a supernatural event took place and we we're ontologically changed. We became spirit. And because of that, we can hear and attend to the word of God in, in ways that I could not do beforehand. And so the importance of God's word is that it's made for the person of ontological born again spirit life so that we can live relationally with God. And there's more, I think we could say, just like you said, I think we can talk about this specifically for for hours, but I want to ask the next question because there's a lot of controversy that comes with the word of God, especially from the unbelievers, the unredeemed, but even from philosophers and from lots of sources. Can we trust what the Bible says? Is it accurate? Is it detailing what God wants it to detail or did we just translate it into what we wanted it to say? Yeah, uh, the simple question, the simple answer is yes. There's methodologies for determining that. I use uh, two words that are used in social sciences in experimentation regularly, reliability and, and verifiability. They're not exactly the same. When something is reliable, it's reliable to what it is. When you investigate it, is it reliable to its 
components, it's truth. When it's verifiable, it can be verified by multiple means, not just by itself. So it's not circular in reasoning. So go back to reliability. Explain that a little bit more when you compare it to what it is. What do, what do you mean by that? So when scripture says something like Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that we've no long, we're no longer given a spirit of fear, but we're given a spirit of adoption or, or sonship, a childhood in God, and that the Holy Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that we are the child of God. So it says that in the Bible, but is it reliable? Can you depend on it? Is it true? Is it consistent? And the reliability can be demonstrated through the verifiability, not only in the internal cohesion of the Bible itself, which obviously is not one book, it's 66 different writings brought together over a span of about 1500 years in the making. It's verifiable by things like that, archeological evidence, the cohesion of the Bible and things like that. So in the end, if something is both reliable and verifiable, it can be trusted to be what it is said to be or it says of itself to be. Like the Constitution of the United States, uh, apparently you can go to the Library of Congress and see one, uh, an actual copy. <laughs> so if they can trace that piece of paper and it's reliable because it's an original and it's verifiable because of the historical record that demonstrates it to be so. So we can trust it. Yeah. yeah. So the word of God we know is authored by those chosen by the Lord and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right. So what I like to think about when I think about, can we trust the Bible? Not only by the reliability and the verifiability, but looking at what we believe of God if God couldn't make sure his own words that he wanted us to know the Bible, right? And remember what we talked about last week is the Bible was key in our identity. And what we just discussed before is the Bible is God revealing who he is to us, mm -hmm. revealing who he's called us to be, and also showing his plan to reconcile us. Right. If God is truly God, then he should be able to make sure that what every word that he wanted us to know about him and none that he didn't want us to know, but every word that he wanted us to know about him and every word he wanted us to know about who we are and every word he wanted us to know about his plan of reconciliation, he had written down through the apostles, through the prophets, through all of these people. And if he is God, then he can protect those words throughout history. If he's not God, then the Bible would never last. It, it, is, it has undergone some intense scrutiny, some attempts to just dispel it, to burn it down. Yeah, guys like Nero, who just wanted to destroy every text that he could find. And yet the word of God persists. And even with the, the verifiability, being able to look at some of the scripture through what they found and, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and some of the other um, 
archaeological evidence that we found throughout time, it's proven that God can maintain his own word. And so when we look at it, of course, the word of God can be trusted. If it can't be trusted, then God can't be trusted. Because how could God be God if he can't maintain his own scripture and keep the truth of it to his believers? Yeah, so, so right. So it makes total sense what you're saying. And you can start with a premise then. Is there a God? And we can argue that. I believe that I don't need to refer to the Bible to win the debate on is there a God? That's a conversation, a longer conversation for another podcast. But let's start with that premise. There is a God. And so then what about some of the things that we hear people saying? Well, but aren't all the religions a testimony to God? Well, what you were saying, if there's a God and he wants to communicate, <laughs> an almighty, eternal, infinite, all-knowing, never-changing God doesn't give us a thousand different stories in a thousand different religious contexts. He gives us one. So now we have another logical verifiability. They cannot all be true. It's possible that none of them are true, but only one of them can be true. And so then it becomes a, a personal testimony on my part that I've spent decades looking into the text of other religions and so on and so forth. It's verifiable to me that this Bible is the true word of God. Now, somebody goes, well, that's a logical, reasonable Set series of events. I, I, I appreciate that, Ricky. But what if I came to a different conclusion? Maybe I came to the conclusion that the Bible you talk about is not that verifiable. Now we have another discussion. Well, well, sir, then what do you see standing between you and acceptance of God's word as both reliable and verifiable? And then he shares, or she shares, whoever it is. I hope they ask me the same question. And then I get to share. And, and some of the things that you lighted upon, like the historical uh, reliability. Uh, you, you mentioned the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, you know, they, they come from somewhere around two to 400 BC. So the skeptics would say throughout the, the, the ages, well, the Old Testament that we have cannot be reliable because so many centuries have passed. Because before the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the oldest one we, that we know of is the Masoretic text from around 1100 AD. So from the time of Jesus, it's 1,100 years or so, right? Well, now we push it back to the Dead Sea Scroll era, two, three, 400 BC, we can compare the Masoretic text with those Dead Sea Scrolls and lo and behold, what do we find? It's the same. The preservation was incredible. Now we understand the mechanism that the, the scribes utilized and we, we can understand why it is so, so credible, but, but over time, 
there's no other historical document other than the New Testament that demonstrates that kind of historical verifiability, which makes the document itself reliable. So those kind of logical, as opposed to religious discussions can take place if a person wishes to engage them. For you and for me, it's, it's simply confirmation because we know of the transformation that takes place in our life and has taken place. And logically, what really made a difference in my life is learning how the Jewish scribes did the, not the translations, but did the transcribing. It, it isn't like, you know, that, that uh, movie with um, Denzel Washington, you know, the book of Eli. It's not like he memorized it and then arrived at a safe place and then they wrote it down exactly how he memorized it. That would invite all kinds of human error into it. But no, they, they would measure the page. They would measure the distance between the marks on each of the letters that are represented in the, in the Hebrew. They would measure top to bottom, side to side. They would only account for the exact letters and the exact form that they were in. And that's why we look at the word of God, how it continued over 1300 years between the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Masoretic text. And we can see that, oh my goodness, it's the exact same. And why is that? Because they took such great care, understanding that this is the word of God. And what we've talked about between you and me is that this isn't just a written text that God has provided. This is equal to an importance and an authority as if God spoke to them. And so the Jew, the Jewish scribe would not see that as a small thing. They would see that it is such a huge undertaking to make sure that you didn't change the words of God, because that would bring all kinds of curses. So for me to understand that, that they took such great lengths to record God's word and to transcribe it, which obviously is why it didn't take off like Bibles do nowadays, where there's millions of them in, in all these different countries, but why it took so long to transcribe Isaiah, and they could only do maybe a chapter at a time based on the size of the parchment. But logically, that makes me look at it and say, wow, that doesn't invite much in the way of error. Amen. And that particular verifiable piece of history is added to in all kinds of other forms of evidence as well. The use of logic, the use of history, all of those things add up to the reliability and verifiability of both the Old and New Testament in ways that other quote-unquote sacred texts have no chance of standing up to. Yeah, Not seeking to, to denigrate anything, it's just that too many people believe that faith is a belief in something that you have no evidence for. That's not biblical faith. That's not how the Bible talks about faith. It's not how God talks about faith. Our faith is in something living and alive, something real. You know, the Apostle Paul, when talking about the gospel, literally used historical evidence in 1 Corinthians 15. Look, 
there are people still alive that will bear testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So historical reliability and verifiability is really important in terms of how we knowing we can trust the Bible. Yeah. And, so, and I, I totally wish we had time to unpack an entire series of what we would refer to as apologetics, a defense of why we can trust God's word. Um, I, you know, maybe, maybe at, at your blog, you could offer some really good books that people could read because there's a lot of them out there. That's great. Yeah. That cover all that kind of stuff. So we went over why we read God's word. We went over, can we trust God's word? But then the question, and I've been asked this one in the discipleships is how do we read God's word? And for that one, I, I told you, Ricky, and I've said it before, how that's changed for me, understanding that all those years, 15 years, it must have been, 16, maybe even 17 years, I read the word of God so that I could get information out of it. I wanted to know everything God had said. I wanted to know all the stories of David's mighty men. I wanted to know all of the prophets who talked about potentially what was coming. And then all of a sudden we find out later that it did happen. And I wanted to know what the apostle Paul said, what Peter said, all of these things I wanted to know, but it never transformed me. It didn't change this thorough and dramatic bit in my life. It gave me knowledge. And in some cases that caused me to be condemning or judgmental in mm. some some regards but it never transformed me in a positive way to be more like my savior and so for me reading the word of god instead of information but transformation that meant that i had to read it differently and i'd shared this before but i don't remember where i read this but i had i'd read it somewhere where they said the word of god was not meant to be read but prayed so when I read God's word, I don't just read it now to, to find what happens. I read it in a prayer. Anytime God brings one of those promises, like we talked about last week in, in 1 Peter or 2 Peter, when he brings up these promises, I thank him for it immediately. And then I say, thank you, Lord. How does this change who I am? What, what does this tell me about you or about me or about your plan? I always go back to that when I read two or three sentences. And you know, that makes reading one chapter in Hebrews instead of doing it in a night. It may take me three or four weeks to read yeah. that. Yeah. But going back to Psalm 119, what am I doing? I'm hiding God's word in my heart. I'm storing it. I'm treasuring. Almost like if you have a delicious meal in front of you, a nice steak or a nice platter of ribs. You could just shove it all down your throat and then you want more, but you don't have any, but instead you could cherish every bite. You could, you could take one bite and just savor that moment. And for me, as I changed my mentality and I started abiding in the Lord, I found that my appetite for the word of God changed instead of just shoving it down and reading and saying, yeah, I did my yearly reading of the word of God. Instead, I would just savor, I would ruminate almost like the cow pulls the cud from one's stomach back into its mouth to pull even more nutrients out of it. 
and then to swallow it down again. I would do the same thing with God's word. I would take it. I would pray through it. I would talk to him about it, even if he was sitting right next to me and describing what I've thought for first part and then going back again and again. And that's how my transformation of how I read the word of God kind of was altered from pre-abiding to post-starting abiding. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. Uh, the imagery you use there, the cow, I mean, that's what Joshua said in his opening chapter, you know. God said to him, meditate on my law, meditate on my truth. And that's what the word meditate means, is to slow down your reading. You know, I sometimes refer to it as conversational reading because I'm engaging God because it's his word. So reading it as prayer, reading it conversationally, reading it relationally. So reading the word of God consistently, reading the word of God, making sure that I don't space out. You know, so I read chapters one and two. And then as I'm reading, I'm just reading on autopilot. And then I get to chapter five and I read something else. And then later I've missed, you know, chapters three and four. And that's not fair to God because chapter five is probably related to chapters one, two, three, and four. And in, and in a relational, you know, if you were talking to a friend, right? And it's, I don't know, late at night and you're having a conversation. It's a great conversation. It's meaningful. You're dealing with some, you know, life and death issues maybe. And then you nod off for a little while, you know, then, and then, you know, you shake your head, you know, how you twitch or whatever you do and you kind of, your head nods down and then you pop back up. He's rocker head. Yeah. Yeah. Rocker head. Yeah. And your friend is like, man, you're not even listening to me. I'm so sorry. I fell asleep. But then you have to be willing to say to your friend, but please, please tell me again what you said. So now you go back over it, even though maybe even in your rocker head nodding off, you might have heard some words, you know, there in the background, you know, like the Peanuts uh, cartoon, wah, 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 wah. Well, that's not fair to a human a p- relationship partner. It's certainly not fair to God. So reading it prayerfully, attentively, attentively conversationally, consistently in its context letting the word of god let god speak for himself don't don't mix the the text up with another a text of one chapter with another chapter uh you know hunting and pecking well i'll listen to god for a moment or two here in isaiah and i'll jump over and i'll i'll read some from the book of numbers and then and then i'll jump over here and get because that's not how god said it it's not how god inspired it so reading it intentionally is really, really important. I love the, that idea prayerfully because it, I think, wraps all of those things I just set up in, in the aspect of worship. Because when we have a conversation with God, attitudinally, we should certainly be willing to, you know, be on our knees, right? If not actually on our knees, that he condescends to chat with us and talk to us is, is awesome, we don't have the same right to go, oh, hey, let's have a hot conversation, my homeboy, you know, my buddy, my pal. I mean, it's one, he lowers himself to speak with us. We don't have the same right to pull him down, to lower him to our level and be lazy with him. Yeah. And closing out, I liked your imagery of the love letters. Yeah. And, you know, between 
your wife and you and taking that into the Bible. You know, a lot of those read the Bible in a year. There's nothing against it. I think that's great that it's forcing you to be intentional with God's word, but it would be like you having eight different letters from your wife and reading sentence sentence one on the first one, reading sentence five on the second one. It's just, it's not the picture that God is, is sending you and then nodding off. Imagine reading the love letter in front of your wife or in front of someone who's so important to you. And then realizing two paragraphs later, you have no idea what it said. And they're looking at like every word, like, yes, you know, I, I want to see the reaction that you have to my love for you. And you yeah. just skipped on by it. You know, it, it could be, it would be heartbreaking for a human. I'm sure it grieves the heart of God that would do that. So the word of God is so important and we want to revere it. We want to put it so high in our lives because it is like God is sitting right next to us and speaking his own thoughts, his own mind to us, but we have it on text. So it never changes. We can record it. We can go back and read it over and over and over again. And that's the beauty of it. Can we trust it? Yes, we can trust it. How do we read it? Prayerfully. We read it in an excited sense. We read it like that is what we need to survive. And it goes back to our abiding relationship. The word of God is so important for us to abide because without it, we don't know who we are. We don't know anything about who God is. And if we don't know any of that, then, then how do we even build this relationship with God and, and understand how to even do that? So I hope that everyone was able to, to glean at least something from this understanding of God's word. And I hope it changes your thoughts about what God's word is. It, uh, I, would, I would be excited to hear any of the thoughts on that. So as we close out, if you, uh, if you do have some comments, please visit the website memoirsofabiding.com and, and send a comment or let us know. There are blogs up there that address stuff just like this. And, um, and hopefully we can, we can spread the word about how important the word is. And so as we end every podcast, we want to end with an important scripture that reminds us to abide in him. So in John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. So as you walk through this week, we encourage you to review the scriptures and themes we talk about and ask the Holy Spirit to team up with you to bring this information to life personally in your own walk. Thank you for listening and God bless.